0: My name is Ed Goldberg. Welcome to Author Author, an occasional series of conversations with authors touring through Portland for whom I have reached by phone. I'm Ed Goldberg and I'm very pleased to be speaking with Cara Wall. Cara, welcome to All Classical. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, it's good to have you here. The title of your book is The Dearly Beloved. Yes. And it's a novel and it a couple of things. We talked briefly before we started recording and there are four characters in this book, who get together, and it's it's amazing that you were able to get these four characters together. There's two married couples who wind up as the two ministers in a church in New York and their spouses. I was wondering if these four people are a microcosm of the changes that were going on in the country in the early 60s, because that's where you place them.
1: Well, I think they all have very distinct views on the social and moral upheaval that was going on in the 1960s, and I would like to say that I was a brilliant enough writer to plan it that way, <laughs> but really, they just came to me fully formed. Really? Uh, yes, I was reading a book called Happy All the Time by Lori Colwyn, and it follows two couples through their, mar- their courtships and their marriages and their first children, very different book. But when I finished it, I thought I I loved that book. I would love it even more if it had more depth to it. And these four characters sprang to my mind totally fully formed. They were already ministers and ministers' wives.
0: The reason I ask this is that as I read this book, I have a certain idea of how authors, what the process is of putting a book together. but. This book seems to be carefully constructed. I was thinking of building blocks that, and, and and this is not a, a criticism to say that it's mechanical or anything like that, but it just seems so engineered. The 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 situations and the people getting them together. I I hope I'm not offending you. No, saying, not
1: at all. I find it fascinating because I'm I don't think linearly at all. And so this book came together by my writing each character pretty separately or each marriage pretty separately and then literally spending two weeks on my floor cutting notebook paper and (laughs) and using rubber cement and pasting it together. So I guess in that way it was engineered. Most of it was written, and then I had to put it in an order that would make sense to other people.
0: Okay, now, given that we have two ministers in this group, the two men or the husbands are ministers, the relationship to God Covers it, uh, pretty much the entire spectrum. We have people who have believers, and we have one who is a rigorous non-believer, and she is also her. Her name is, is Lily. Mm-hmm. Lily is has a certain amount of personal bitterness because she lost her parents when she was fifteen years old, mm-hmm. and therefore has no expectations at all. She's the only thing that she respects is learning and and knowledge. And anything else, spiritual matters, things like that, don't matter to her. Mm-hmm. And then we have Nan. Nan is from Mississippi. She's a, a minister's daughter. And she knows how a church works. And she knows how to work with parishioners. And she knows what people need from from a minister and a minister's wife. And she believes completely. But you, know, you say, oh, Minnesota, Mississippi. But her her father's church was not like a Mississippi White people's church. No. no, she's fairly progressive for a Mississippi girl, right? Yes. Okay. And then we have Charles and then we have James. And Charles is an academic type. His father was an academic yes, type, Harvard. Very. Yes. yes. And he respects knowledge and learning. And James was led into social activism by a, a, a series of events. Yes. We'll, we'll have you talk about that. So we have. As, far as I, I it's like a spectrum of belief and a spectrum of activity reflecting what was going on in the country in the early 60s, at yes. least to somebody like yeah. me, who lived through it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good.
1: <laughs> no, these are excellent questions. No one's ever asked me this kind of question before, so.
0: Okay. We start and we end with the death of one of the characters.
1: Tell us about Charles. Charles... Is, as you said, an academic really at heart. He's a true academic. He was raised by a father who was the head of the classics department at Harvard, and he grew up in a house full of books. He was never allowed to read anything non academic. And he follows in his father's footsteps to going to Harvard. And he has a real conversion experience at Harvard, which seems unlikely, but he gets to it through a favorite teacher who is teaching things that his father finds very avant-garde or even sort of dangerous and subversive. And he loves this teacher. His teacher says to him and his classmates, only empathy will help you understand history. It's a history class. So only putting yourself truly in somebody else's, learning from somebody else's point of view is going to help you make change in the world. And he's never thought of anything that way. And that that teacher invites him to a talk given by a priest, and he leaves that talk. It's a talk about Joan of Arc, and he leaves that talk with this strange sense that this might all make sense to him. And he's wary of it, and he pokes at it the way an academic does. And he finds that he just he's had a conversion experience. He now believes in God. So it's very unlikely both of the ministers in the book are surprised by their calls to faith. They're surprised by their calls to minister to a congregation. And that, I didn't plan that. I, that's how they came to me. They came to me as ministers. And then I had the lovely job of getting to know them and understanding why they had made that choice in their life.
0: You get to fill in their backstory.
1: Yeah. And so they each make a a conscious choice to become a minister. Mm-hmm. It was never expected of them. They aren't just following in anyone's footsteps.
0: Charles uh, is told by this professor who was a big influence on him. Yeah. I mean, we all we all hear about the clashes of empires and kings and queens, but the teacher tells him, pay attention to the serf." Yes. You get to know the common people. Yes. Yeah. But tell us about James. James is an interesting story also.
1: Yes. So James, uh, James's father was an alcoholic. He went to World War II— he fought in World War II and he came back, as James's mother says, broken. And it's not a terribly tragic or abusive life, life childhood that James has, but it, it marks him and he wants to be very different than his father. And he is very smart. His mother realizes that he's going to get himself in trouble and possibly even start drinking if they don't keep him busy. So he has. Pretty much the biggest deus ex machina moment in the book where a an uncle a rich uncle offers to send him to college so james doesn't ever really want to be a minister i would say almost even throughout the entire book he's still surprised <laughs> that he's a minister but he wants to do something useful in the world so he sees his choices as medicine law or ministry but He only thinks of ministry because he's started to fall in love with Nan, who is a minister's daughter. And he just loves her. He loves her goodness and her kindness. And though he's intimidated by her privilege um, and her wealth, he he just feels incredibly drawn to her. And he knows that to really court her and possibly marry her, he will have to explore her faith and then his faith.
0: She knows... All the ins and outs of how a church runs. Yes. And she was schooled by her father. She didn't like touching the flesh and talking to the parishioners, but her father said, you need to do this. Yes. You need to look in people's eyes. You need to see what's going on in their heads. And she is able to impart to Charles because he is a an academic. He's you know is am, am I is that a mistake This Nan is imparting
1: I'm sorry, it to are tra- We're talking to about James. James we're and Nan talking about yeah, him. yeah that's sorry No J- that's okay
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah but James there was a a great line about somebody that they love people in the abstract but not so much face to face you know yes. James is a little like that He likes to do wants to do great things but he's a little nervous around people whereas Nan has the other uh,
1: Yes James feels really uncomfortable in his skin a lot of the time He's very jumpy and antsy, and he gets very impatient with people. And Nan is very patient, and Nan is very—she has a lot to teach him about being a minister.
0: Let's talk about Lily, because Lily is the character in the book that I have to admit that I identified with the most. Okay. Uh
1: (laughs) No, no, it's really interesting because most people— say to me when they talk about the book they say oh i'm really team lily or i'm really team nan like they they really have an affinity for one of the female characters the
0: mm-hmm. reason is that lily talks to me not only because i'm, I'm not a, a depressive and lily is very depressed and mm-hmm. she has reason to be depressed mm-hmm. but she has let it get to her mm-hmm. and she's become involuted and and insulated against the world. And pretty much cut off Mm -hmm. and the fact that anybody is able to even draw her out is is a good thing but the other thing is uh, i had my if there's such a thing as an epiphany Mm -hmm. i had my deep epiphany when i was a kid (laughs) i think i invented that word that's a good word i I like it and uh, so i respect that idea that we're here you know almost the existential idea we're here we're defined by ourselves there is nothing out there that's going to save us yeah and uh, she's like that yeah yeah now how how in the world does does she get together with Charles?
1: That's a good question. But to me, they are both academics at heart, mm-hmm. so they really that's what attracts them to each other. She has given up her faith in God after the death of her parents. She has she really wants to get out of the small town where everyone looks at her with pity and and concern. And she wants to just go be her own person. And she's a true academic in the same way that Charles is. And their courtship is based on that. She tells him very clearly at the beginning of their courtship that she's never going to believe in God. Charles, though, is a person who loves at first sight. He falls in love with God at first sight. He falls in love with Lily at first sight. And I think he just is that kind of person. He finds something and he, he follows it as far as he can. And as long as she's not saying no which he talks her into the first date and then they continue to go on dates. And as long as she doesn't give him the hard, no he he's going, he's going to pursue her. He just loves her. I think he loves her mind. He loves her, the clear clarity of her beliefs. So in a way her lack of belief or her atheism, devout atheism is fascinating to him. I think Mm -hmm. because it makes him continually question his faith and and hone it and kind of polish it and really be certain. I think her lack of faith helps him be certain in his own faith.
0: He's awfully persistent, too.
1: and he's persistent. Well, she's—I think she's beautiful and she's really interesting and she's aloof, and he has to work work to get to know her. And I think all of that stuff intrigues him. And it takes longer for her to like him.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, and she also says the saddest—the single saddest line in the book. Comes from Lily that says you're never going to make me whole. Yes, and that that is in fact what he wants to do.
1: It's what he wants to do for everyone. I mean, he wants to use his mind and his writing to make them feel like the world is good and that they are supported. And she'll she'll never feel that way.
0: Wow. Okay, uh, <laughs> we'll talk about the uh, London right okay. after. I remind people that I'm speaking with Cara Wall. Her first name is spelled C A R A, and last name W A L L. Title of the book is the dearly beloved. It's published by Simon and Schuster. James and Nan get along pretty well. Yeah. Yes. They're much more simpatico. They 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 want to work together. They want to be together. They want to make everything good, and they get a chance to go to the, well. James gets a chance to go to divinity school in London, which I would yes. I you mean, know, like that, right? I, right? Yeah. <laughs> and they they actually blossom in London, don't they?
1: They really do. They go to London because Nan's father tells James he he can never study to be a Baptist minister because his faith is not really strong enough yet. And they go to London and James is just swept up in this group of young men studying to be ministers and who are questioning their faith in the same way he is. He still doesn't really entirely have a faith in God. He has a faith in his own ability or his own desire to make the world a better place. And he finds his like-minded kin there. And it's so exciting for him. And it's based in this academia, but it's not as precious as divinity school in in the U.S. might have been because there's this long tradition of second and third sons going into the clergy in, in England. So you get a much more collegial sense of, let's just try to fix the world. Let's... Let's go out and let's go out and have some beers after we do that.
0: (laughs) They have have a life in the pubs. I found that fascinating because if there's one thing you're going to get in the pubs in England, it's A, good conversation, and B, a lot of strange ideas. So it, 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 again, broadens them.
1: Yes, and they're fascinated. His friends in London are fascinated by the civil rights movement, which is just gaining its real steam in the U.S. at that time. And so I think James gets gets to see his life through someone else's lens through a different culture's lens and for him looking looking across the ocean to america i think that's where he starts to think i can really make a difference there and that that time for him is where he refines his identity as really a social justice not warrior. That's too much. That's too modern Not a of a Christian word. Soldier. No, but but a social justice warrior. I feel like it's just too modern of a word. But he really is going to go and champion these civil rights movements of all sorts that are going on. Well, in the of US. course,
0: the, um, the the model at this time was Martin Luther King Jr. Yes, and that kind of social activism, uh, along with the overlay of being doing God's work, is kind of what attracts him. Yes.
1: Yes. And But I, at this point in the book, I don't think he would even say he's really doing God's work. Mm-hmm. I think he just is exploring this idea of seeing if he can be the kind of man that Nan wants him to be.
0: Now, they also have a personal tragedy. I don't know yes. if you want to talk about this. Uh, sure. Okay.
1: Yeah. All Nan has ever really wanted is to be a minister's wife and to have a household and to have children. And she, when they're in London, she has her first miscarriage. And it's devastating to her. She was having a wonderful time in London. She was uh, free from her mother's instruction in how to be a wife and a minister's daughter. And she gets to create her own household. And she just loves James and she loves his energy. and, And she sees what kind of man he's becoming in London. And she's excited by that. And then she has a miscarriage and she becomes terribly, terribly homesick. And she just feels like a stranger in a strange land and asks to go home and secretly is hoping that they'll get posted. He'll, he'll find a job at a small church and she can have the kind of life that she's always wanted. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: Yes. Uh, and uh, during this time also, Jar- Charles and Lily, I'm always going to mix these things. Yeah, Charles and Lily get married. Yes. And it clearly... Charles was winning the war of of convincing <laughs> Lily that, that they should get married. Yes. But still, even up to the the, the, the very ceremony itself, it, she has doubts. Well, she has doubts about everything. Yes. Right. And she never expects to be happy, that poor thing.
1: No, she really doesn't. Mm-hmm. And okay. I think that's one of the reasons she's able to marry Charles, which doesn't sound very romantic. But she doesn't expect him to make her happy. She doesn't have that romantic vision of what marriage will be. And so she thinks of their marriage as a marriage of academic minds. She actually gets a job uh, as an English professor in New York City, and she just loves his mind, and they edit each other's work, and she thinks, okay, well, he this being a minister is just his job. And I think she comes to that, and that's what allows her to get married to him.
0: Now, the closest that I found Lily to being happy... In this book is in New York. Yeah. Because it's New York. (laughs) Yeah. And she gets to talk to oddballs and she gets to butt heads with other academics, with people who are very smart and have these amazing ideas and they go out for drinks and they talk endlessly. She's she's in her element in New York.
1: Yeah. Well, she finds her. She finds her like-minded people there. It's all these people who don't believe in God and who are atheists and who it's her colleagues are refugees from the second world war um, in Europe. And they don't believe in God. They've, they've really learned to just enjoy life for what it is. And they have no, they also have no expectation of being happy. So she's free from her, her family's concern and from this social construct that happiness is possible and that, you know, you will be—life is safe, and she just finds people who she can have great intellectual conversations with, who never question her atheism.
0: Both couples wind up in New York, and because they are both—both both men are applying for a minister's job mm-hmm. at, at Third Presbyterian Church, yes. which is doesn't exist, right?
1: No, it's based on the church in which I grew up, which is called First Presbyterian Church, mm-hmm. but— the things that happened to Charles and James, they are totally fictional.
0: Yeah, that's right on Washington Square, New
1: York. Right? Uh, 12th Street and Fifth Avenue, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, the minister that they're replacing is named Sebastian.
1: Yeah.
0: Sebastian, to me, was the funniest character in the book. <laughs> you got to give us a couple of minutes on Sebastian.
1: <laughs> Sebastian was sort of a pastiche of, of ministers I've encountered in my life, not not ministers at any of the churches I've been to, but when I travel or, or visit places, I, I like to go to church. I think it's a great place to really see culture and, and get to know what real life is like in a different place. And they're just people who are full of too much hearty good cheer and who are showmen in a way and want to put on a happy show and leave everybody have everybody leave their church just feeling glad and in order to do that and to preach in that way you you have to gloss over a lot i mean the bible is not necessarily happy glad book
0: oh brother and,
1: no <laughs> and people do not come to church to just be happy all the time to so walk
0: out singing the tunes yeah you that,
1: right. so i wanted I mean, he so he was really based on people I've seen in action. So it was pretty easy to write that. But I wanted to set up Charles and James get themselves in trouble um, with their church, both separately and together. And I needed to set up that the church, why the church was willing to give them such a long reign, like such a long rope
0: give us a little bit on sebastian's decorating skills. Oh,
1: <laughs> sebastian really dresses up the church. So third presbyterian and first presbyterian in real life, it's this beautiful, very plain wood and marble structure. It's very solemn and um, almost puritan and he comes in and he puts up bunting and he even decorates himself. He has he has different neckwear for every every sunday and he's just trying to make the place pretty and bright and jolly, and that's not what most of his congregation wants.
0: Sounds like a used car lot. <laughs> with the, the banners, you know, A little
1: know. bit, just totally yeah. incongruous with the setting.
0: Okay. If I'm not giving too much away here, both Charles and James are hired, and they're hired specifically for their contrasting qualities. Mm-hmm. The hiring committee for the, for the church says, I don't know, these two guys, you know, this guy is this way and this guy is this way. Maybe this is exactly what we need: is to have a co ministry mm-hmm. in this in this church. How does that go?
1: How does that work out? Yes. <laughs> well, Charles and James are fast friends from the very beginning. They they understand the way the other fills in their blanks. So they they understand that they can do a better job together, and they're so relieved to find another man of their age who is as rigorous with their academic ideas and as the other one is. But Charles's goal as a minister is really to preach well and to, um, he, he really comes from the same background as many of his parishioners, which is wealthy and white and waspy and understands the sense of decorum that that, and calm, and reserve that that congregation wants, and so he fits in. James wants to shake that congregation out of their reverie. I think that's what he calls it. And he just looks out and he sees the earrings and the purses and the nice shoes, and he just thinks, "You guys haven't suffered. You don't understand what is happening in the world today." And Charles understands it a little bit because of the exhortations of his teacher, but. James goes too fast and too hard with his congregation and they want him to slow down Mm -hmm. and he really can't. And so some of the most interesting parts of the book for me to write were, were these two really good friends saying, so Charles saying to James, really you got to slow down and James feeling quite betrayed by that because here is a, uh, his, his friend, his best friend saying, you know, you, you have to be different. And so, I find those scenes pretty touching, and I would get sad, and I would worry that they weren't going to get back together when I was writing them. But it's just two two sides of the same coin. I think m- many churches are much more much more involved in social activism, and many more are most interested in the academic aspect of faith.
0: When we started, yeah, I said that this church and the situations around the church, and, and Charles and James are reflecting the changes going on outside the church. Yes. We don't have too much time left in no. this interview, but I would like you to talk about Jane Atlas and Marcus.
1: <laughs> so Jane Atlas and Marcus were gifts from the muse. Jane Atlas is James and Charles's secretary and she just takes them firmly in hand. She's she's old. She's been at the church for 40 over 40 years and she's going to fix this church. Like I think she sees this as her last active service for the church. She's gonna make up for Sebastian. She's gonna get these two young ministers on track and and bring the church back to its She's glory tough. days. She's tough, but she has a soft spot for those Absolutely. two ministers. Yeah. <laughs> and they take her advice. When they take her advice, things go well. Mm-hmm. When they don't, it doesn't
0: <laughs> and eventually her role is filled by a young man named Marcus. Yes. You gotta tell us a little bit okay. about Marcus. Okay. So
1: Marcus is a young black man that he comes to the church it's the Vietnam. It's the era of the Vietnam War, and the draft has started for the Vietnam War. And he doesn't want to go to war. Uh, and if he stays in college, he won't have to. So he gets he. But he needs a job. He has to pay for college. So he comes to this church. And James and Charles see something of themselves in him, and it's a turning point. They've had this mentor, and they be, now become mentor um, mentors to this young man. But he also gives them advice and doesn't see them as the paragons of virtue that they think they are. And he himself says, you know, you you need to do differently or you need to see your congregation differently. You're missing something. So both of their secretaries are a voice for them saying, you're missing something. You're not seeing clearly. And so they're, I love them. They're mirror images of each other. You have this you know, very old white lady, and then you have this young black man, but they're filling the same the same roles for their ministers, which is to say, open your eyes.
0: And each of them has the best interest of not just Charles and James, but the church in in mind as well.
1: Yes. Well, they're good people. Yeah. They're good people. They're not, they get involved in their community and they want to see it succeed.
0: Now there's a lot more plot left in this book, and we don't have much time left in this interview, a minute or two, but there are trials, trials coming up, especially for Charles and Lily. Yes. And I don't know, do you want to talk about Bip and Will or do you, should we just see, save that as a surprise?
1: Well, we can talk about them a little. They they have two sons and, and one of their sons is, is the largest trial of their lives. And that's where Lily starts to thaw and where Lily really has to rethink her vision of life and her vision of tragedy and where her idea of how tragic her, the death of her parents was changes and she then can come open herself up to the people around her. So it's through her children and, and the tragedy that happens in the third part of the book that Lily really turns to community and starts to have friendships in her own interesting way.
0: And she and Nan never got along. No, nope. They didn't talk to each other nope. for a very long time. And because of what happens to each of them, they find some middle ground upon which to at least approach each other.
1: Yes. Well, they've committed. They've committed to their to their husbands, and by proxy they've committed to each other because neither of these couples is going anywhere. And they have to learn to respect each other. And I think by the end of the book they really respect each other. They might and even like each other. They might. They will have moments of liking each yeah. other. <laughs> is there any...
0: Road to Damascus moment in this book for anybody in the book, or is it all does it all evolve into into what they become by the end of the book?
1: I think it evolves. I think there is a road to Damascus moment where Lily says to Charles, I'll pray with you or I'll sit with you while you pray. That's a and big thing for her. That's a huge thing for her. And she, so for them and their marriage, I think that's a moment where their marriage really changes. At that moment, he actually doesn't want to be praying. He's turned away from God. Uh, and so it's, it's ironic or touch and or touching that it's his wife who has been a full-on atheist her entire life to say, I, I will sit with you. You need this. I can see that it's missing from your life, and I'm going to help you back to that. So I think that's probably the closest to a road to Damascus moment.
0: Everybody grows by being taken out of themselves. Yes. And I i mean, I suppose that's a life lesson that we all need to learn at some point.
1: It is. It's all very difficult. But one of the things I was interested in this book is how that happens day by day. Because when you get someone else's story and someone else's someone else tells you a story about how they've suffered and then grown, they gloss over a lot of it. And this book doesn't really gloss over that stuff. They, you see people having really hard discussions and people not being nice to each other and then mm-hmm. people coming to respect each other and it was really satisfying to write. Just quickly, what are you working on now? I'm working on a book about a painting that gets left on the steps of the Met in New York and the people who try to figure out what it is. Ah, uh, that's fascinating.
0: <laughs> uh, can I get you to come back when that book is Absolutely, published?
1: Absolutely, that would be my pleasure.
0: I've been speaking with Cara Wall. Lovely conversation. Thank you, Cara. First name is spelled C-A-R-A, last name Wall, W-A-L-L. The title of the book, Dearly Beloved, published by Simon & Schuster. Thanks very much. Thank you. You've been listening to Author, Author, produced at the studios of All Classical FM in Portland. My name is Ed Goldberg. You can find these programs at our website, allclassical.org slash author. Thank you for listening, and I'll be back soon.